0: I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 118th videocast, 108th podcast for the week, ending Thursday, January 20th, 2022. We've got a lot of great stuff to cover today, a lot of Ask Me Anything questions, so I want to get right down to it. Uh, First off, I want to do quick on the media. I want to thank Taylor Fleming, Andrew uh, Balamachi, and Baker Machado, the host, for having me on Cheddar on Tuesday morning. Uh, we're going to go into that in more detail. Definitely worth uh, listening in with everything going on with rates, the stock market, et cetera. Uh, last Friday, I want to thank uh, Ellie Terrett, uh, Lauren Simonetti, and Liz Klayman for having me on the Klayman countdown. We'll go into that a little bit later. I uh, want to thank uh, Bansari Kamdar for having me in her article on Reuters uh, two days ago. and. Uh, I was relating to, I think tech was down in the morning, and I said tech is going to be bifurcated between companies that are earning money today versus the companies that are promising to earn money tomorrow. The companies that are promising to earn money tomorrow but not earning today are going to take big haircuts. So that's been happening. That trend should persist. Um, thank you to Bansari Kamdar for having me in our article. And finally, I want to thank Ellie Terrett, who's uh, not only producing for Charlie Gasparino, and uh, producing, I think, a bit on the claim and Countdown and booking and, uh, and also doing a lot of journalist stuff uh, in the crypto space now, just incredible. She did a uh, one hour uh, podcast with two major crypto guys on Monday. Check out my Twitter feed uh, to, to watch that if you're interested in Ripple and the SEC regulation on crypto that's her uh, new area of expertise, and she's just doing phenomenal. She asked me about Intel is uh, signing a deal with Grid, which is one of these SPAC um, Bitcoin miners, and Grid wants to focus on carbon-free stuff. Apparently, Intel, which is the turnaround thesis, we own Intel, we've been talking about Intel for a long time on this uh, podcast. It's been kind of sleepy in the 40s when we started talking about it, I think it's in the early, you know low 50s now. It's starting to make a move. But um, uh, Intel has a unique technology, and that's part of their turnaround, is they're going to have these value-add chips. So NVIDIA is not going to be the only one in the game, and they've got one that is energy efficient. And what I said to Ellie was, this will be big if it's successful, because one of the major headwinds for institutional ownership of Bitcoin has been ESG concerns, the amount of energy that they used to have to use to mine the coins. So if Intel becomes the go to where the 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 coins can be mined with ESG in mind, they're going to get all the business and it's going to be a monster home run for uh, the the people that are into Bitcoin and crypto and for Intel could could be uh, have this new beachhead in the market and have innovation uh, going for it once again versus being a commodity producer. So this is a big deal uh, if it works as, as planned. Now, wanna get into some of the questions of the week, ask me anything questions. First off, uh, as always, this is opinion, not advice. Go to hedgefundtips.com, click on terms. Um, I share what I'm doing, not what you should do. So take it for what it's worth. My situation is obviously different than, than many of yours, and as are my clients, uh, but it's educational and, and you can certainly benefit, which is why you listen, and we're grateful for that. So Paul Smith asks, Tom, Slight coincidence, you have another Paul Smith following and he asked a question a few weeks ago. This is from Paul from uh, Pennsylvania and Florida. Yep, I know Paul, he, he uh, follows me on LinkedIn and always likes my articles and my media hits. I appreciate that. Uh, those likes help and uh, they, get, they get the uh, articles and everything a lot more exposure. Um, you mentioned the biotechs last week and it is obvious that the whole group is oversold. I tend to look at the group and individual names on a simply a technical basis. The simple question is, what kind of fundamental analysis do you look at when most of the success of these companies rely on FDA approval and then negotiating with insurance companies on the price to determine revenue, which can be years and years out? As always, thanks, Paul. Yeah, so the group is a high risk, high reward, which is why it's very, very difficult to pound the table on just one name um now uh there's another gentleman uh question that's going to be coming actually i'm gonna probably read that question together with yours because um it ties in so ben first name only asked a question about biotechs um he said why ibb versus xbi so IBB ETF, and, and uh, I didn't say explicitly that that's what we used, but um, we tend to lean towards the companies in the IBB we, uh, in the sense that they are the larger. So the IBB is the cap-weighted index that mimics the S&P 500 biotech uh, GIC index. So um, it's it's... Uh, more aligned with the general uh, S&P sector, the XBI, and and which means it's market cap weighted and it winds up having, because of the nature of market cap weighted index, it winds up having the largest um, cap names in the sector. And when you're dealing with the largest cap names, you do have a lot more earnings predictability and stability than you do in the small and micro caps, which are kind of like, or even mid caps, which are all or nothing to Paul's point. About you know, it's about drug approval. It's about catalyst. It's about all of that. So uh, unlike you know, in China where we could parse and just choose Alibaba because based on our work we we thought that it had the best upside relative to its current pricing and value, uh, and and it's a it's a more stable business. In biotech, you need to have a handful or an index, and um, that's what Ben is is alluding to now he talks about xbi xbi is an equal equal weighted index and that tends to be more concentrated in small caps and micro caps and his point in his question if i can find it was i think the xbi is down like 34 percent versus the ibb was down 16 or 20 or whatever whatever he said it was at, at the day that he sent the question and uh why not choose the xbi because you can get more upside and I, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. I think the answer to Ben is you could do half and half. Why do you have to just do one? Um, it's like anything else, even with the general indices, when risk is off, the smaller and mid caps are going to get hit harder. They're higher beta. And when when things go up, uh, you can get more um, upside. The, the difference, to go back to Paul's question, uh, if you look at the biotech top earnings, we did the um, estimates earnings estimates and revisions, and for the IBB, the top 30 weights. And what we found is over the last 60 days, uh, despite the index being down, you know, whatever it is, 20 some odd percent, um, the earnings were actually modestly up. So you've had this huge collapse. Let me see if I can just pull it up. Um, In the... ibb is down from 155 to 130 so you know 20 some odd percent in just um wow basically since the beginning of the year so three weeks um and we've been buying in the last four or five sessions in this range um over this same period of 60 days earnings estimates have actually gone up so a lot of this is correlated with the rate fears the hawkishness of the fed I think it's going to be overblown, and we went into detail in our article this week. Um, time to cry or time to fly? I think the subject should have the title should have been "Time to Fly" or "Time to Buy," and, and we'll we'll get into that. And I think it's nuanced, and I think it's selective. But what a sell-off in the IBB! Let's just take a look at the XBI. So. Um, times 13 is 26. Yeah, that's about yeah, 20% XBI uh, is down you know from 115 down to 90. Uh, it's not down that much more, but I guess off of its peak here is what he's talking about, 25 30%. If you look at over the long term the XBI and the IBB usually are pretty close if you look at a longer uh, dated which I did after seeing his question. But, you know you could do half and half um that's that's not a big issue now um so to answer your question is i i look on a i tend to look at the bigger names paul uh on a fundamental basis i see look what's what's been happening with the price what's been happening with the earnings relative to price over that period so earning our earnings estimates and current earnings going up or down and the price collapsing, and then I drill down. If I see earnings have been going up and the price is down 20, 25%, then I'm looking at, okay, what's the bear thesis? Why is this down? What's the uncertainty about? And in these larger cap names, I can get a little more precision about uh, my expectations around what that business is gonna do over time. And, I, and particularly if I can see what it's done over the last you know, five plus years in terms of uh, return on invested capital, in terms of ca- cash flow generation etc and you're not going to find that in the uh xbi components as much which are smaller mid-cap which are higher risk and higher rewards so um so that's what i like to do and you have to do it in a basket so that's a really good question paul i appreciate all the likes and retweets and all the stuff that you've been doing so uh thanks for for listening in i know you've been with us for a long time um okay marat uh, uh marat astrayan uh hi tom i have two questions do you think that once the 10-year yields reach around two percent it would be a good idea to buy into closed-end funds that are focused on debt instruments such as pdi geof pty uh, my second question is do you have a limit on how much an industry can be in any of your portfolios or because you look at the value of the companies that you invest in correlation doesn't really matter ah great question Murat. um okay let me handle the first one uh first i don't think that the move to two or 225 or even 250 which i, I don't know that we're going to see 250 i think it's two to 225 in this quarter which seems to be headed there pretty quickly uh is going to lead to enough dislocation that i want to be bagged in a closed-end fund because the closed-end funds tend to trade at a to nav I understand why you're probably doing that is because they do trade at a discount to NIV, the yield is higher because you're getting that kind of juice and they're leveraging uh, 30 to 50% some of them. Uh, I think mostly 30% in those closed end funds. So you could see yields like 11, 12%. I think Marat, where I did a bunch of that was during, the, like in, in March and April during the crisis, uh, be, uh, during the pandemic, and, and big time where I learned the game was 08 and 09 because that was a credit crisis. So you got like, you had some that were yielding like 30% and, and plus. Um, so just remember on fixed income, you're capped on your upside and closed end funds. You're always going to have a discount to NAV. So the yield has to be... Uh, you, you really want to see a, a decent double-digit yield. And that will be a window. that They don't give those away for free. So that'll be like a two-day period where maybe people get scared to death uh, where you can lock in a 14% yield on some of these. You want to go with these uh, closed-in funds. I think these are PIMCO funds. I, I got to double-check, but uh, which are fine. They've been around for 10 or 20 years, so that's okay. But you, you really want to make sure that yield is high enough. Otherwise... You, you, you might not get enough dislocation in this window that it's going to pay to be bagged in those. But if you do, I think you could have some exposure to to these. Um, if it's a, you know, if it's been around for twenty some odd years, the closed end fund, it's a good manager. Um, it's it's um, not returning capital, but actually paying the interest, and not small and, and some garbage thing that's going to blow up. Uh, yeah, those can be unique opportunities and that's a clever way of looking at it. I'm just not sure you're going to see the dislocation you're looking for the magic like we saw in 08 or in 2020 where you can really lock in those high yields, but, uh, be prepared, have your watch list, have your, you know, buy orders well below the market and you may get a few of them hit and, uh, and that's that. So great, great question there. Murat. Uh, okay. John P hello, Tom. I listen to your podcast every week. And I look forward to the commentary. I really appreciate your strategy. I've been investing alongside. I own C- Cigna, good for you. That thing's uh, moving quite a bit. B- Boeing is starting to move, good. Uh, BABA, well, that one we, we've been waiting on, but that, that's gonna be a big one in 2022. I think it's already, I think it closed at 131 today, up to 108 bottom, so that's good. And Las Vegas Stands is starting to move now with the licenses. Thank you, I have two questions. When entering a position and it goes, Oh, uh, Murat, what was your second question? Oh, uh, just let me answer Murat's question first. Uh, his thing was about sector location. I don't want to be overwhelmingly correlated if I can help it. You know? So we have a lot of casinos, uh, Melco, Wells, uh, Melco uh, Wynn and Las Vegas Sands, which are all Macau plays. So that is kind of being overly co- correlated to China considering you know, Baba is such a big position for us. Um, but they're discreet. I mean, Wind has still U- has U.S. exposure. Um, I just think they're just oh my God. I just think they're just too good of opportunities right now. So I'm willing to take that correlation risk. But generally, you don't want to be overly correlated in one sector, asset class, or or com- or um, country, uh, particularly when they're foreign countries, uh, unless they're kind of like special situations. But would I have you know, let's say I had super high conviction in United Healthcare, and that was 10 or 15% position. Would I do Cigna 10 or 15% on top of it? Probably not. You know, I wouldn't do uh, two that highly correlated, um, etc. So, uh, John P, uh, I hope that helps. So, so the answer is, if you're going to lean into one you know, if you have additional in that group, they're probably going to be a lot, a lot smaller. I've got a handful of other Chinese stocks, but they're, you know, relatively tiny. The casinos are, you know, decent size, and that is uh, an overlap of correlation with Baba. Uh, That's very rare for me, but I, you know, these these values are just screaming to me and uh, or at at the time that we're buying them. And and, and now they're starting to move. And I think they're going to be really, really uh, good outcomes. So uh, that's that, and then uh, back to John P I have two questions when entering a position that goes against you, what is the strategy for averaging in a five percent drop ten percent drop next question uh, okay so uh there's no magic formula what what it is is I make a determination based on fundamental analysis what is the fair value of this at some point in this what what is the what should be the fair value of this today and I've gone through it with you guys on. Alibaba in the near term, I think the the fair value is somewhere between 280 and 300. I think if you're willing to hold through a lot of volatility over the next five years, I think you'll see a four or five hundred dollar stop. That that's really what I see because although the top line is going to slow a bit uh, to 20% from you know last quarter was 29%, the the bottom line will be 15% earnings growth. Um, You know the thing has been growing. Uh, returning capital uh, return on capital has been 18% since the IPO three weeks ago, you could have bought it at 2014 near IPO prices, uh, and paid for none of that growth in the past that's already happened and none of that growth in the future. And I'm going to cover a couple of interesting stories here. Uh, in addition to the Microsoft, one I covered two weeks ago, and if you didn't read that, please check it out. It would probably be one of the most important things you ever read in your career. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, about the analogy to Microsoft, how the fundamentals continued to get better, the stock price did nothing, and then it was up thousands of percent afterwards. That is much more common than you think, and that's, I think, a perfect analogy for Alibaba. The earnings and cash flow have grown 500 plus percent, almost 600 since the IPO. You're getting it for the IPO prices, you're getting all of that growth for free, and uh, 20 to 15, 20% more compounded on an annual basis and that's why it's just one of the most compelling opportunities, despite all the regulatory noise and everything else that happens every three to five years. Um, and, um, and that's why I also say that, yeah, if you're willing to hang around five years, uh, you know, for 500, because, you know, I think if this does shoot up to 260 to 300 in a reasonable uh, time frame, you know, 12, 24 months, uh, they'll probably knock it down again. The government will say, oh, you're getting too powerful. So they'll knock it back down to 200 or whatever. You'll have a chance to buy again. uh, Or you'll just hold through the whole thing, which is even better. So uh, that's that. Uh, Next question. Uh, Splunk, is this an opportunity now? So Splunk had a huge run. We took a decent slug off. We still hold a bunch. We added a little bit on the bottom. I like it here. Um, Yeah, I think Splunk's fine. I I think Splunk, over the next couple of years, uh, uh, could... could, um, you know work work back up and and beyond so that that's that's uh that one will be fine um ben first name only podcast question please okay i'm all in with ibb since you were right about banks energy consumer staples boeing splunk the march 2020 bottom etc oh thank you that's very complimentary ben uh don't be all in on anything by the way i would never be all in on anything but i i think what you're saying is i've put a position on and uh yeah, me too. And I've been adding every day and I love it. So, all right, no verdict yet on Baba, but that's a different animal. Uh, I think Baba is going to turn out to be one of the best trades I've ever done. I've never been able to buy a business with that much embedded value for that type of price. I mean, and, and by the way, 14 times next year's earnings, uh, even at these levels over 130 versus its historic multiple of 28, I get all the growth for free, the past growth, I get all the future growth for free pay 2014 prices at these levels. We brought our basis down a ton. Uh, It's a no-brainer, but that's that. Question, what have you been wrong about? Uh, I prefer no-nonsense, hopefully confidence-inspiring answer as opposed to modesty. I'm not sure. I guess what I've been wrong about is how quickly Baba would turn, um, but that's given us opportunity to build more of a position. Uh, I think the other thing i've been wrong about um, is that all you need is performance to grow a monster business and um i think what i would say to young people listening uh is very very important that you know when you start out you focus so much on your craft and you feel like if you just do better in terms of performance then Um, all the fundraising will take care of itself and you'll have a billion dollars under management in a couple of years. And that was never really my goal, but as I see the performance I've been able to put in relative to people who have a billion dollars or two billion or three billion over time, um, there's something to be said for, uh, mastering your skill is table stakes. What separates the big businesses from, you know, great businesses and an incredible lifestyle, but is, is going to be, you know, um, everything happens in the social circle is what I'm trying to say. So, um, you know, spend that 24 hours a day honing your craft for 10 years and become exceptionally good. But that is not enough if your goal is to have billions uh, under management over time. And that hadn't been my goal. It's more getting my goal now because I can see the runway for that. But um, I'm also seeing that in order to get that done, um, you know, it's it's not about just being in front of the computers, just doing the numbers, it's about being out there because as people get to know you and it, it flows all by word of mouth and people do business with people they like uh, and then as you produce for them, they, they give you people that you know. So uh, I've really hit that stride in the last three years but I would say, um, um i wish someone had explained that to me better earlier on and that was probably my my biggest mistake that's the bad news the good news is i got it early enough that i've got the runway uh and uh and and i think it's gonna be home run moving forward so so don't underestimate everything happens in the social circle you know exceptional skills that you develop over five or ten years are table stakes that that doesn't entitle you to a monster business, uh, and spend time nurturing and developing contacts and just having fun and being out in the world is, is really, uh, the message that I'm trying to communicate as it relates to that. So, um, two, do you feel as good about IBB or, or biotech as you did about banks, energy, et cetera? Um, no banks and energy were an absolute no brainer uh you know wells fargo traded down to uh uh it was trading at a 55 percent discount to tangible book it had only done that two other times in its career great financial crisis and uh snl crisis in the early 90s that was an absolute no-brainer uh same thing with energy with uh exxon mobil We, we went high high up on the food chain that was easy peasy so ibb um ibb i'm perfectly comfortable if if, I, if ibb is another alibaba and it takes nine months to bottom and then it's um and I'm, and I'm ibb is not how we're exposed and and you know that said uh ibb is now a 10 percent position which is a really high conviction up from five percent when we did the podcast last week um we shaved a lot of we took a lot of profits on wells fargo and we're building that position up in uh, biotech it's 10 percent of equity but it will trade like 30 percent uh through how we're exposed with certain derivative exposure as well as equity exposure so while while our risk is 10 percent of equity if it went to zero uh our exposure uh, it, will, it will benefit us as if it's 30% of the portfolio without the same type of risk. So um, so it's, it's meaningful, it's not BABA conviction, it's not Wells Fargo conviction, it's not uh, you know, a- energy conviction for 2020, but it's, it's getting close. And if it continues to push against us, you know, the interesting thing is, uh, and, and Bill Miller put this brilliantly the other day, if you listen to that uh, um, segment I put in one of the articles, he said most people think when the price goes down risk goes up actually when you can buy at lower and lower prices the risk is coming out of the stock because it's priced in at those levels same with same with what we saw at uh, alibaba at 108 now it's at 131 i think it was like 138 pre-market or something like that it's it's gonna it's gonna rock um so um so the answer is you know do I have high, high conviction in how works expressed for IBB? Yes. Do I know if it's going to be a double in six months or 18 months? No. Uh, but I think it's going to be much sooner than IBB because a lot of it's caught up in this whole rate fear. And I think, I think as we get through this call, you're going to see how some pockets of this may be getting a little bit overdone. Um, okay. Uh, if the general indices correct 10%, will IBB be spared? Well, the NASDAQ's down 10.7, I think a little bit more today, so call it 11.5 um, or 12. Uh, so IBB has gone right along with that. The answer is absolutely no way it would be spared. Uh, but I, I think that some of the names and some of the exposure have well that more than reflected at, at 10%. If the general market starts uh, catching up with the NASDAQ, that's going to be hitting, uh, obviously the heavyweights like Fang, uh, much more so after, after this initial stage, but no, it won't be protected. And, uh, and we will be adding more. Um, uh, I, I would, I would potentially be getting, I would potentially be interested, uh, in getting up to 13 to 15%, not a 20%, which is all time high that we've ever done. Like we did with Wells Fargo and, um, um, and Baba notionally, but in that ballpark, I I would be comfortable based on, you know, some of how I'm seeing this set up and some of these things are absolutely in depression. Uh, Okay, so thanks, Ben. Thanks for asking that question, Ben. Okay, we got your XBI or IVB explanation in. Uh, Third question Ben asks, uh, uh, XYZ rating service uh, likes the following healthcare stocks, which ones would you consider? Uh, I mean, he has TMO, ABT, J and J. Well, these are healthcare, not biotech, but, um, so he lists TMO, ABT, Abbott, Thermo Fisher, Abbott, J J, uh, Quest Diagnostics, and, um, Roche. Uh, the three I would consider are Abbott, J and J, and, um, uh, uh, Quest, but, um, None of them are high conviction, they're all kind of sleepy stocks. Um, Okay, and last question from Ben, I think he has five this week. Uh, uh, But he's listening in, so that's good. He's learning and and earning. Uh, The UK, Starbucks and others are revoking their vaccine mandates, will this hurt IBB? If yes, which individual biotech names are you favoring to avoid vaccine makers included in the IBB in it? we're not in vaccine makers explicitly. I know Moderna, you know, we'll have some exposure. Pfizer's not a biotech. Um, So no, I don't think that that's going to affect anything. If anything else, I think what's gonna happen is um, we discussed last week that the rollback of the vaccine mandate means more people are gonna go back to work and it's gonna help the economy and it's gonna uh, mitigate wage inflation, which is a key sticky component of, uh, of, uh, the inflation that we've been seeing. So I think it's going to be a net positive for the economy. But the key thing is people are going to get out and about again, which is going to mean, um, doctors visits are going back. Uh, it's also going to mean, you know, more people get Omicron, which is great because then we'll just, you know, we'll effectively have herd immunity or endemic or whatever the hell they want to call it every day they change it. But, um, the point is, that a lot of doctor's visits and a lot of procedures have been delayed either through the full hospitals or people nervous to go to the hospital or people nervous to go to the doctor. And the good news is people aren't gonna be getting sick with uh, um, COVID as much anymore, but they are gonna probably have to deal with some things that have been on the back burner as they get their normal physicals again, they're gonna see that they need more drugs, more treatments, more procedures, uh, and these companies are going to benefit as well as um, some of the uh, pricing fears uh, with the Build Back Better uh, that probably won't get passed. That will be a huge headwind lifted from the group as well. So good question on that front. Thoughtful. Uh, but, um, yeah, and more and more companies are going to roll roll those back because they, they don't want to have to pay a gazillion dollars for labor. They want, you know, ill bodies. You know, pretty much at this point, everyone's either been boosted or they've had it. So there's some level of immunity. And if they get it, it's not gonna be a big deal. They're just out for five days and then they're back. Um, so that was the most, I think the most ask me anything questions we've ever had, but you know, I've heard feedback, like people learn the most from those. So um, so that's a, that's a positive thing. Thanks for sending those in guys and gals. I think we had a gal this week. I know we've had a lot of gal questions in the past. No, we didn't have a girl. Okay. This is the Goldman Sachs report I posted on uh, Saturday or Sunday in the morning reads. I think it was Saturday morning. Goldman put out this huge report entitled uh, 10 Key Debates on and Reasons to Buy China in 2022. Uh, Again, opinion follows trend. As soon as these stocks go up, these guys have to start writing stuff to justify why they went up when they were all pessimistic pessimistic on it but we're just starting i mean now now is when you're starting to see the real bullishness on uh banks and energy the last few weeks i mean we had a monster rally into earnings on the banks uh you know it's uh a year and a half late thought fellas not to say these things aren't going to double again some of them but um it's time value of money at this point you know the first double was in 12 months the next double may take three years uh or four so um and some of them won't double again they'll go up 10 20 30 percent and it'll take three years okay page, where's page 10 i'm trying to get to it okay all right so basically what they're saying and we have talked about it is that they go through a quantitative review uh empirically forward returns tend to be strong at prevailing valuation levels and they're showing that our current range uh is 11 times to 12 and a half times earnings, which is the low end of the five-year multiple range for the MSCI China. And in that context, the 12-month forward return, based on its current range, is somewhere between um, the, the aggregate of the indices is 17%. The median is 13% 12-month returns. Then they also re-emphasize the uh, 12 months into the... China National Congress meeting, which is, you know, 30 plus percent. So that's uh, uh, the China National Congress. The transition meeting is in November. And he's uh, kind of on shaky ground with everything that's going on. He did too big of a crackdown. And now he's scrambling with uh, President Xi with massive stimulus and rate cuts, which we saw this week. And that's why, um, well, we're going to cover it right now. So uh, a couple of headlines. China seeks to cushion blow of economic pain as momentum slows. Uh, that was earlier this week. Um, let's see. Um, sign in here. Okay. Okay. So. Um, so this just goes through. they they're. they're they're stepping on the gas pedal for fiscal and monetary policy. Uh, this was earlier in the week. China cuts policy interest rate for oh for first time since April 2020. PBOC injected 200 billion yuan in medium term loans. This was from four days ago. Then from last night, Hong Kong stocks soared by most since July 2020 as Alibaba developers rally on China rate cuts and spending stimulus. China trimmed their one-year loan prime rate for a second time in a month. Guys, remember, I was saying this was going to happen months ago, while the five-year rate fell for the first time since April 2020 as policy easing gathers momentum. They're just getting started, fellas and ladies and gentlemen. Uh, stocks closed at their highest level in two months as Alibaba 10 cent led tech peers while property developers gained in relief rally. That's from overnight in Hong Kong. Uh, Next, uh, China's central bank cuts key lending rates, including one for the first time in nearly two years. Um, Okay. And they've got a lot of room to run. They cut from 3.8% down to 3.7%. That's going to keep going. You're going to see that. And that's going to be very, very positive. Um, Don't know why there's a Beyond Meat article here. Okay. Uh, Okay, so the next thing is they're saying that um, they're saying that um, HSBC cuts their rating on U.S. stocks and says Chinese equities may be a place to hide. Uh, So opinion follows trend once again. Next is uh, moving on to the U.S. markets. NASDAQ Composite just logged its 66th correction since 1971. Here's what history says happens next to the stock market. And if you look at this table, all of these bad outcomes were 2008-2009 credit crisis. If you look at the normal for garden variety, one month, uh, uh, one week, three weeks, one month, three months, six months, one year out are are phenomenal returns. So... Uh, You know, it's a random walk. I I don't think we're anything like 2007, 2008. You could certainly see a 2011 where you're down a few percent a month out uh, and then you finish the year uh, stronger. So that was some good empirical data. Uh, Boeing got an upgrade from Bernstein. Opinion follows trends. Top choice for 2022. Sees several near-term catalysts. Uh, Home buyers are rushing to get mortgages before higher rates uh, price them out. This is something I said would happen. If you remember, you know, the Fed started raising, the biggest boom in the housing market uh, wasn't 2001 to 2003 when rates were low. It's when rates started rising from 2004 to 2006 that you saw the greatest price appreciation because everyone got fear of loss. They didn't want to get priced out. It it got them off the couch buying like crazy. And I think we're seeing a a repeat of that right now. Um, The next thing, UBS upgrades Las Vegas Sands. says new Macau rules should boost stocks. So that's that's something we've been talking about. Um, Okay, here's Buffett. Long ago, Ben Graham taught me, price is what you pay, value is what you get. Whether we're talking about stocks or stocks, I like buying quality merchandise when it's marked down. That's been the theme of this podcast. I want to read a few stories about Buffett that I read over this week. I was reading a couple books on the plane. We came down to Key West for a few days. uh, Do some parasailing, jet skiing, and... uh, uh, swimming with dolphins. And, uh, what else are we doing? Uh, deep sea fishing. So we're going to try to catch a shark and then they they take a picture and they stuff it and we're going to hang it over the pool in the house, which will be pretty awesome. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, okay. So listen to this story. Imagine if a friend had introduced you to Warren Buffett in 1972 and told you I've made a fortune investing with this Buffett guy over the past 10 years. You must invest with him. So you check out Warren Buffett, and you find out that his investment vehicle, Berkshire Hathaway, had indeed been an outstanding performer, rising from about $8 in 1962 to $80 at the end of 1972. Impressed, you bought the stock at $80 uh, on December 31st, 1972. Three years later, on December 31st, 1975, it was $38, a 53% drop over a period in which the S&P 500 was only down 14%. So Buffett was down 53% versus the S&P down 14%. You might've dumped it in disgust at, at, at this point and never spoken to that friend again who referred you to him. Yet over the next year, it rose from $38 to $94. By December 31st, 1982, it was $775. And on its way to two hundred twenty three thousand dollars as of the time of writing this book was written in 2014 called a hundred baggers and compounded annual uh, return of 20.8 percent over the past 42 years so um this is important for two reasons number one is nothing changed with the operator or the operations it was exogenous things The you know the thing about the asset management business is that everyone chases yesterday's return so after our managers had a huge run for three to four years everyone puts money with them and probably that's when their best ideas have um fully matured so to speak that if you really want to play the allocation game because i know there are institutional people listening to this call your best bet is if if you can buy a bad, if you can buy a great manager who's had a bad year it's the greatest thing you can ever do in terms of asset allocation. No one ever does it, but if you have a manager that's got a seasoned record, five years, 10 years, 15 years, and they have a bad one or two year, like you see in this case where Buffett dramatically underperformed, he was down 53%, um, it's a home run. And it's the exact same thing as it applies to companies. So if you see a stock price down, 20, 30, 40%, but the, the managers are continually generating an above average return on invested capital. So 10%, 15%, 20% above the S&P and trading at a multiple below, that's a formula for long-term wealth building. And um, and that, that's a perfect example. Another example that was in this, uh, well, here's, here's a great example of Buffett in his 1995 letter to uh, shareholders, Buffett said, I first became interested in Disney in 1966 when its market valuation was less than $90 million, even though the company had earned around 20, 21000000 million pre-tax in 1965 and was sitting with more cash than debt. Um, at Disneyland, the $17 million Pirates of the Caribbean ride would open soon. Imagine my excitement, a company selling at only five times rides. <laughs> Duly impressed, the Buffett partnership bought a significant amount of Disney stock At a split adjusted price of 31 cents per share, that decision might appear brilliant given that the stock now sells for $66. That was at the time of uh, 95 when he was writing the letter. Uh, But your chairman was up to the task of nullifying it. In 1967, I sold out at 48 cents per share, split adjusted. So he made a 55% gain, but what a costly sale it was because he left uh, basically 180 bagger uh, on the table. Uh, so he got a 50, 55% gain versus, uh, um, you know, 180 times his money. Uh, and it goes to show, you know, it, the, if the business continues to improve and the managers generate an above average consistent return on investment capital, and you can see a vision of how the business is going to grow, Uh, sometimes selling them too early is is a killer and everyone's guilty of that but it's it's something to learn of if nothing changed with the underlying business then let the mania of the market be your friend not your enemy and i think that's exactly the story with um with berkshire another uh, with uh alibaba another example um uh, you know when looking at stock price performance based on quarterly or annual earnings but not on business performance A memorable example that the author cites here in this book is uh, Pfizer, whose stock lost ground from 1946 to 1949, and again from 1951 to 1956. Performance-minded clients would have chewed the ears off of an investment advisor who let them get caught with such a dog. But investors who held from 1942 to 1972 made 141 times their money. This is an example of... A company that is the fundamentals continue to improve, the stock price doesn't reflect it for a period of, uh, in this case, it was, you know, a handful of years, just like BABA. BABA was seven years, you know, to 2014 to 2021, business's uh, average return on capital is 18%. Uh, business keeps growing, sales are growing uh, over 30% for the seven years earnings are growing at 20%. They'll continue to grow at 20% and 15% respectively. You get it at seven year prices, and then they just take off. In the case of Pfizer, 141 bagger. I think in the case of uh, uh, BABA, it can be a four or five bagger in a reasonable amount of time. You don't have to wait 30 years. Uh, same thing with, with Disney. The business was improving, but Buffett you know, was like, oh, I'm up 55%. So it's just something to keep in mind, um, putting things in context. Moving, moving right along, uh, CBOE skew, this is coming down. This is generally correlated. We've talked about this in the past. This is the cost uh, for two standard de- deviation uh, type of events. You know, catastrophe insurance, basically the market collapsing more than 10% has come down dramatically. That's usually in line with towards market bottoms. Uh, there's been a lot of fear in the market later, which we're going to cover lately, which we're going to cover. Um, Uh, this one we don't have time to cover credit spreads have stayed relatively muted here you can see that usually after you have these type of blow-ups like we had during the pandemic in 2016 and 2011 you get many many years of uh stable environment the exception is in 2011 you did get this uh 15 correction in the context of a larger bull market that's not off the table here but I think it's lower probability. I think this 10 or 15 percent in the NASDAQ, maybe we'll get a full 10 in the S&P, uh, is, is very reasonable. But but the, the general trend, the cycle, tends to be multi, multi-year, multi and we're only you know, a year and a half in. Um, okay, uh, we covered the XBI. Uh, the sentiment survey we're going to cover. Article of the week, time to cry or time to fly, stock market. Okay, you can see the... NASDAQ composite relative to the Dow Jones last night when I wrote this. Um, NASDAQ is in correction over 10 percent. Dow Jones was down a few percent. Uh, the NASDAQ composite, OK, the growth, this growth and tech laden index seems to have hit a critical level at this point. So it's bumping up right on this, this level here where you see a lot of volume by price, breakout back test. So we're going to see if it holds this range. Um, Part of this move is attributable to hawkish moves by the Fed and the climbing 10-year yields. Um, you can see here, these have backed off a little bit in the last couple of days. And as the discount with the thread up I mean, when's the last time we had a, I, well, I'm not going to get political, but I mean, you know, okay. Uh, moving right along. As the discount rate rises, the value of future cash flows de- declines in the present. Tech is especially vulnerable in this environment. Value cyclicals are currently uh, outperforming. Uh, so this probably backed off a little bit today, but they're starting to reverse trend. While some of the indicators are nearing extreme levels for tech, the companies that are big on promises and small on profits continue to get hit and likely will for some time. The funny thing about money is that when it's free, it goes into all kinds of CD places, i.e. malinvestment. Uh, once it becomes... Ta- once it begins to have a cost, managers demand earnings, cash flow, and reasonable multiples so that capital is returned to them in a greater quantity than their cost of cash. Um, here are some broad indicators we look at that imply it may be time to start digging in very selectively on a name-by-name basis. On last week's podcast, Videocast, we started discussing opportunities in biotech. That was last Friday. We've been active in the market over the past few sessions. We'll continue to add selectively on weakness in coming days and weeks. We tend to leg into major positions over tranches and out of positions in trenches as well. So we rarely go in and out all at once. Uh, we average in and we average out. So what's happening? What's happening for beaten down tech growth? Compare the Nasdaq composite in the black line at the bottom uh, to the indicator at the top. Did it pay to be a buyer or seller at these levels in the past? And you're going to see for most of these indicators, it paid to be a buyer. They they were closer to bottoms than to tops. Uh, these are all nearing or at extremes. It doesn't mean we can't get a little more pain first. But on a name-by-name basis, some of the names are looking ridiculous now. Uh, NAS, you know, uh, so uh, for those of you listening, uh, NASDAQ Advanced Decline, McClellan Oscillator, uh, NASDAQ McClellan Summation Index, you know, these are levels that are closer to bottoms than tops is, is really what we have here. They can always get to extreme levels like the pandemic, but I don't think we're getting a second pandemic uh, anytime in the near future um one percent uh ema of advanced decline ratio again these are levels where it paid to be a buyer versus a seller that you have always have these outlier events but on balance these levels mid-20s y- you made money buying uh same thing with cumulative volume ratio again getting closer to the bottom of the range than the top Uh, Cohen high low same thing you can google all these actually every single one of them has a video on my website explains what it is and how it works same with the up down on balance volume none of these are magic bullets but in combination you get a better feel for where you are and you can separate your feelings from the quantitative data Uh, Nasdaq bullish percent you know 35% on uh, point-and-figure buy signals that's generally a good area to buy. You do always have these rare exceptions that may blow through. That's not to say we couldn't have it, but you play your odds. And some of the names are already pricing in as if we're already down there anyway. Some of the biotech names are pricing at uh, at the pandemic lows. So that's that's interesting and, and helpful information. Um, same with the tech sector, bullish percent, uh, and the NASDAQ 100 bullish percent. These are buy levels. That, uh favorite buying versus selling. We covered, I believe we covered the uh Fox Business um interview because the podcast was Friday last week. So we'll probably skip over that again. Thanks to Ellie, Lauren, and um and Liz for having me on, on their show. Um, we talked about Las Vegas Sands and Wynn. They get got their licenses, Melco, we've been talking about that for months. It finally happened. That's gonna follow through. These things are all going to make new highs in our view uh over time and then cheddar on tuesday morning i got up that was great um and we covered the last shelby first we went through uh asset class we went through sectors and we went through countries and the text we the picks we gave uh, industrials we gave boeing and, and ge uh for biotech we we covered that biotech was down 20.38 percent in 2021 um we covered we covered this, um, and then asset class emerging markets in China. Our topic was Baba. We've gone into that at an item, and then we covered earnings. The consumer strong, you know season. The presidential cycle is a bit of a headwind. Uh, the Fed policy is a bit of a headwind, but uh, we'll get through that. And we'll probably finish up high, single digits, low d- double digits for the S and P. Twelve months after the first rate hike, the uh, S and is up on average seven or eight percent. So don't fear the reaper and um, the sentiment survey. This is very important. We want to cover this before the end here. Uh, on Tuesday, I posted a summary of the Bank of America global fund manager survey. You can find it here, three, 329 managers with 1.1 trillion under management. There were three key points in our view. And this supports all the 13 some odd charts that we put here saying that tech might be getting a little overdone. We're expressing it to biotech, which is a part of the uh, NASDAQ composite, but um, um, okay, so here it is. Number one, net allocation to the tech sector fell 20% month over month to 1%, the lowest since December 2008. This may be nearing a short-term extreme, even if this proves to be the general trend in a modestly rising rate environment. So cyclicals and value could outperform on a relative basis, and we think they will in a rising rate environment. However, managers have just puked out of this stuff in the last three weeks, and you saw it in the biotech indices, we covered it, uh, and in the NASDAQ in correction, but it hasn't been this low since uh, net allocation to tech since December 2008, and as you can see, this was the last time that managers were this underweight, uh, and it was you know definitely the time to be a buyer. It doesn't mean you know one incident means it's always gonna be that way, but you just, again, you weigh probabilities, and you look at data, and you make your bets, um, and you manage your risk. So number two, overweight positions on bank stocks rose 41, overweight positions on bank stocks rose to 41% among Bank of America clients, closing in on a record set in October 2017. This is why we sold the good news in bank earnings. Now, that's not to say Wells Fargo doesn't go up to 75 and 90, and we kept a little on so we can participate. Um, but, um, you know, 25 to 58 um you know in over a year that's that's you know bulls make money bears make money pigs get slaughtered and then we've got enough that we can participate to 75 and 90 after they get the asset cap removed but I think it's going to be a slower process moving forward and uh this is this is a perfect example while banks w- moved up a bit more following the same extreme so October 2017 was the last time that they were this overweight banks um Two years later, they had made little progress. Everyone was already in off the 2016 lows. And I think that's what's happened now. So consider this to the pandemic, you know, huge move in the XLF. You know, most people are in. So you're probably somewhere, you know, this is the last time they were that this extreme. Yeah, did they push higher? So do we see 75-90 on, on BABA? Yeah, but if you look over the next two years, this was a bad use of capital. You, You, you know, XLF was up 73% in a year and a half, and then only 9% over the next two years. Whereas we're getting in at the beginning of some of these other things like China, BABA, biotech, so we can participate in this, not being stuck in this. Two years later, they have not made material progress. Um, Managers can't get enough banks and they can't get out of their tech fast enough this month. While both trends can persist a little bit longer, managers are late to the game in this positioning. The time to buy banks was fall of 2020 when we were pounding the table. You can see our Cobra Kai article. Um And then the third thing uh, so so the first key takeaway was the allocation to tech. The second key takeaway was so uh, first takeaway was that everyone's getting out of tech overnight at, We think that's at maybe nearing a short-term extreme. The second one is everyone wants banks now like we said, we help them out. you know when no one wanted it, we were buyers when everyone wants it, we help them out and give them what they want. And then number three, is um net overweight positions in commodities rose to a historical high in january this is about oil the last time commodity euphoria was even this close was 2011 and you can see you had this monster move off the crisis low in the energy sector uh and then you got you know a big retracement and sideways chop for another year even though the trend resumed up for another three years and that's what i've repeatedly said Three years out, do I love energy? Sure, I think we're gonna to continue to persist. I, I think that emerging markets, the whole story, is gonna be very, very constructive. However, I think we've got a lot of the juice out of the apple here, out of the lemon, uh, in the first you know, two years here and participated in it. So, so this is more where we wanna be a seller that everyone's getting excited, certainly taking profits to feed our next big moves, uh, which we think are gonna be China alibaba and some biotech um moving forward and you know the uh signals of the world are already working and the boeing's uh and that type of stuff that we've been in so um the time to buy commodities and energy stocks was when we were we were pounding the table in fall of 2020 now um again the next three years the trend is up the short term the best use of capital over the next year and a year and a half i think we've taken a lot of this out so You shave some of that, you put it in some of the newer ideas that have more upside, uh, and then you can re-add if you get the chance in the next year uh, after OPEC starts putting too much on, which they always make the mistake of, et cetera, et cetera. So the time to buy commodities energies was when we were pounding the table in fall of 2020, and you can see the article here. Um, Now, onto the shorter term view for the market. Um, Okay, this one was important this week. Bullish percent fell to 21% Uh, this week from 24.9. Retail trader and investor optimism is flushed out. They are pessimistic now. Uh, They're the most scared they've been since 2020, the year of the pandemic. This usually occurs near inflection points. Their bearishness is up to 46.7. You see down these levels, buying was probably a good thing to do. Um, Fear and greed is uh, neutral as of last night, 59. And then the National Association of Active Investment Managers, that actually came down to because they print that on Thursday and I write these on Wednesday night. So let's see. It's down to 56.73. So they puked out of stocks. So maybe it'll bottom down here in the low 50s. If it, you know, if, if it didn't, they probably did a lot of that today. Uh, and then as it moves, they'll have to chase back in. So uh, this was my closing commentary from the January sixth note with this is what I said. The next fed, so this was january 6th um the next fed meeting is january to 26th. by then the only data the fed will have is likely a decent jobs report from this friday uh limited evidence that inflation is rolling over as i said in our podcast video cast when people are looking for big crashes we're not going to get one we should be limited to a handful of uh three to five percent pullbacks given all the liquidity uh so that was for last year this changes in 2022 i expect to see eight to ten percent plus mini corrections moving forward uh, if we continue to gain strength in coming weeks, I'm inclined to harvest some profits and build a little cash into the Fed meeting, which we did. Uh, the re- recent hawkish is pivish, is not expected to change until inflation rolls over. And I think the earliest signs of that will be in March. February may create some opportunities to go shopping for those who have harvest a little cash. January has as well. The longer term investors, you're likely to hold on through the air pockets. They haven't inverted the curve yet, so no recession is on the horizon in the near term, just a bit of turbulence. Um, okay, so my response is, we have put a significant amount of capital that we raised per above. Back to work into biotech sector in the past several sessions. We'll continue to selectively add in coming weeks as an if uh, opportunity presents itself. Okay, uh, that was the podcast video cast. Um, we were able to get it done today because they canceled the parasailing today. It's tomorrow. All right. Next, um, some of the data. The jobs was a little weak from Omicron. That was kind of the big highlight of the data. Continuing claims was worse than expected, as were initial jobless claims, and then. Um, Uh, Earnings on balance have been good. We'll see tomorrow in the fact set numbers, but I I would guess on balance uh, that 2022 number moves up from 223, probably to 224, 225, and hopefully by the end of the earnings season up to 227, maybe closer to 230. Um, And that's the story for this week. So I want to thank everyone for listening in. We'll be back next week, either on Thursday or Friday. We'll we'll let you know in the article of the week. uh, And then we'll be back on a... Or regular schedule on Thursdays moving forward. So uh, thanks for listening in. In the meantime, make it a great one. Bye for now.